This episode of the Disney Film Project podcast is brought to you by touringplans.com. It is the one-stop shop on the internet for figuring out how you are going to plan your Disney vacation, Disneyland or Disney World, it doesn't matter. Seven Dwarfs Mine Train, you want to figure out how to get there and not wait in line? This is how you do it, touringplans.com. Disneyland, you're trying to figure out how to get out there and how to navigate all the cool new stuff like Cars Land and Buena Vista Street and all that great stuff without having to wait in line, touringplans.com. You can optimize your touring plans, check the crowd calendar, do all kinds of great stuff. Make sure you check that out over at touringplans.com. They're the sponsor of this week's episode of the Disney Film Project Podcast. Welcome again, everybody, to the Disney Film Project Podcast. This is the show where we talk about the films of the Walt Disney Company. Marvel, Pixar, Lucasfilm, Disney Toon Studios, anything and everything relating to Walt Disney Productions and the Walt Disney Company, you can find it here on this program and over at DisneyFilmProject.com. I'm Ryan Kilpatrick, host of the program, and along with the folks you're about to meet, we run DisneyFilmProject.com where you can find Blu-ray and DVD reviews, show notes for this very show, and reviews going all the way back to the 1920s of Disney films, shorts, and all kinds of content. So make sure you go and check that out over at DisneyFilmProject.com. Joining me, as always, are our fine film experts. First of all, we have the man who needs no introduction, but I'm going to give him one anyway. That's Mr. Todd Perlmutter. How are you, Todd? Hi, I'm doing great. Thanks, Ryan. Glad to hear it. Glad to hear it. And, of course, from all sites around the interwebs, we have the one and only Miss Rachel Cole. How are you, Rachel? Doing great. Always great to be here. Awesome. And, of course, the producer of the program who keeps things running and keeps us on schedule, on task, and on time is Miss Cheryl Perlmutter, who you can find on Twitter at CherylP3. How are you, Cheryl? Doing good. Glad to hear it. Glad to hear it. All right, since we all are doing well, we can talk about the movie for this evening, which is Tall Tale, a 1995, what is termed a Western adventure fantasy film on Wikipedia? I believe that to be true. <laughs> yeah, that pretty much sums it up. I think that sells it short, but, but yeah, that's, that's, that's basically what we're talking about. Uh, it is, if, if you like the Disney shorts on Things like Pecos Bill or John Henry. Did you guys see that uh, that collection? I can't remember what it's called, like American Legends, that DVD of yeah. those shorts. Yeah, it came out like, like 2000, a, I think. Yeah, yeah. This is like a live-action version of combining all of those things together. Uh, well, here's the interesting thing, though, is that they did not actually make the John Henry short until they made that collection. Yeah, which was after this, so maybe they were inspired. Yeah. I, that's, I think that's the proper way to go with it. Yeah. So, yeah, this film came out in March of 1995. It was, by all estimations, financially very unsuccessful. Uh, oh, estimated budget around $32 million, and in the worldwide made around $11 million. Uh, so did not did not turn out well for Disney. Uh, yeah, it, 
it it also wasn't very critically uh, well received. But Roger Ebert actually really enjoyed this movie. Um, he had some really very nice things to say about it, um, particularly that he was happy there was a movie with characters that are human beings, unlike, as he put it, uh, plastic-faced clones like the Ninja Turtles or the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Uh, that have no personalities, nationalities, or human attributes other than a taste for pizza. Yeah, what did you call them? The Old West Avengers when you were watching it? <laughs> <laughs> it basically is. I mean, it's, it is Old West Avengers. <laughs> I'm going to be Todd's joke now that um, apparently the, the, re- the restaurant in the Magic Kingdom is more popular than this movie. That, that is true. When you go to search for this stuff on this movie, it's either watch it or very little information other than a couple of reviews. I think I found the New York Times review and, and the other thing, but nothing like really written about the movie itself. And, but you find way more links about Tall Tale at, you know, in, at, the, uh, at Magic Kingdom. Uh, the, the director of this film was Jeremiah Chechik, who I think is most, it, it's crazy because I actually enjoy some of his other films and yet he is pretty much reviled as a bad director. So he direct, he's directed, uh, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, uh, one of my all time favorite movies. He directed Benny and June. I like that movie. Yeah, I like that movie. movie a lot. That movie is really good. Yeah, uh, he, he directed Diabolique, oh. which is also good. Yeah, uh, and the Avengers. Yeah, that's yeah. that would be where the yeah. reputation for the bad movies comes from. The '98 <laughs> Avengers. Yeah, yes, yeah. yeah, so we're talking about the the movie based on the British television show, folks. Not the <laughs> not the Joss Whedon masterpiece. Yes. Just to be clear. Although, Robert Rodat, one of the writers for this movie, did help write Thor Dark World. Aha, a Marvel connection. Yeah, well, there's another one, too. You want the other one? Oh, sure. I'm sure that there's many others. <laughs> the, the bad guy who plays Styles, Scott Glenn, he is going to pl- be playing Daredevil's trainer, Stick, in the Daredevil series that's coming out on Netflix. Oh. Very cool. I have um I have one that's not Disney related but something that people appreciate. Burgess Meredith was the old guy in this movie. He was. Yes, yes he is. <laughs> wah 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 wah. <laughs> Sorry, had to do that. No, it's a it's a must do. Whenever somebody says Burgess Meredith, you have to do the penguin voice. Wah 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 wah. <laughs> So we, we, uh, we, we've kind of alluded to the fact that this is the, uh, as, as Rachel calls it, the Old West Avengers, but the, it, the movie is called Tall Tale, and in some places is subtitled The Unbelievable Adventures of Pecos Bill, because it includes Pecos Bill, Paul Bunyan, John Henry, and even a sort of cameo appearance by Calamity Jane, uh, come riding in to, to do what trope, Todd? <laughs> Calamity Jane riding into do I I don't know what trope you call it but it's it's the jilted lover, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> well, and in, in all in general are working to do the save the farm trope. That is yes. true. Yep. Yeah, this is a save the farm movie. Right. That's I'm, a bad thing. I was disappointed that your wife did not get to move, watch this movie with you because I know she's a big Oliver Platt fan. She got to see the first half of the movie with me. <laughs> And I will stress to you the first half she got to see because she said, you're traveling soon, right? I said, yes, I'm leaving tomorrow. And she said, you can watch this on the plane. 
<laughs> I, that is my one complaint about this movie. I, I actually do enjoy this movie a lot, but it is very long in the tooth at a, mo, most of the movie, I would say. It takes too long to do what it's trying to do. Yeah, well, especially the center portion of the movie when they're going through the desert. That part just feels, is way too long. Way, way, way too long. Yeah, and some of the cuts are terrible. Yes. The, the editor does not deserve any awards for this movie. <laughs> no. No. I will say now, this, this cinematography like is it's something we don't normally talk about, but in a movie like this where you're looking around for things to be positive about, I'll be honest, um, the cinematography is actually quite good. I thought, you know, like the way it was shot and some of the, the, the vistas and things like that are, are really breathtaking. And even the fact that quite a bit of this movie is actually shot in darker lighting, if that makes sense, right? So some of it's in caves, some of it's at night, that sort of thing. Um, sometimes if you do that incorrectly, it can be very, very bad. And I thought they handled that very well in this movie. I, I did notice the lighting very much reflects the mood throughout the movie. Yes. You know, the characters, when they're having problems, it gets dark and it's nighttime. And, you know, when they're happy and having fun, it's light out. Even in the desert, they're kind of sort of more lighthearted. Despite Paul Bunyan's little breakdown there, it's actually a lighthearted breakdown almost, I thought. Yes. <laughs> if you can t- term such a thing uh, lighthearted, yes, I would agree with you. <laughs> okay, so he's not exactly light, but you know what I mean. Uh, it is Oliver Platt, so the words light is, or sort of, and Oliver Platt don't really match up that well, do they? Right. Also, yeah. I have a question. Oliver Platt is not actually a tall man, right? He is not. Right. So how did they do the scene where he runs at the guy playing John Henry, who is actually a tall guy in real life, and he's taller than him, and it doesn't look like a stunt double? See, I thought that he was kind of a tall guy. I am going to check this. I'm going to find out how tall he is and prove whether or not this this is a stunt double. Just give okay. me one moment. I'm going to look this up. <laughs> okay. Well, you can do that in the background. We'll keep let Ryan keep talking. Yeah, that, I, I don't know, but well, I, if if I remember correctly, he was. Uh, yeah, he's he's not a tall guy, but we'll see. Yeah. So this this movie is basically the story of Pecos Bill, Paul Bunyan, John Henry teaming up with a young boy um it's sort of i don't know i don't know if you had to go high concept you'd say it's like the wizard of oz meets the avengers or something like that right because it's it's very unclear there's a whole thing about uh, and we'll talk about the plot of the film but there's a whole thing where this boy meets all these heroes and we're supposed to believe that it's a dream and then it's not (laughs) and then they fade away anyway yeah exactly like it's not, but it might be. But no, but then the father sees them. So it couldn't have been, that that section couldn't have been the dream, because if and then, then the father's not, then the father would have had to be dreaming as well. Yes. And but he, he was already was... healed and ready to go back to work by then. I, I think it goes to what Ryan usually says about consistency versus inconsistency on magic powers and stuff like that. Yes. You know, it, it it lacks the consistency. It's not clear, right? Yeah, because because that's the thing. Like there, and we'll talk about it. There's a moment where the the kid wakes up, and you think, oh, okay, now he's going to do things on his own. And then the the other characters come back, and it's like, oh, so what what happened exactly? But we'll we'll, we'll talk about it. it was, I was very confused throughout the entire film, <laughs> and that's not really a place that you want your audience to be. 
No, because I mean, when he wakes up again in in the boat and he comes back and he's like, "Oh, I'm back home and everything," it feels very Wizard of Oz ish, and you almost kind of expect that you'll see, you know, these these actors maybe showing up as like townspeople or something. That it's like, oh, it was in my subconscious. I, you know, kind of know these people, but also don't. Do you know what it is? The kid's actually the one with the superpower to create these heroes. As he mm-hmm. needs them, that's what's going on. He's, he's kind of like a, he's like Henry from Once Upon a Time. He's the truest believer. Yes. <laughs> By the way, I have I have an update on the Alver Platt uh, height question. He is six foot four. Oh, okay. So I guess he is much taller than I thought. Because he doesn't make. Uh, remember when he was on West Wing playing the lawyer? Yes. And the the girl that he's was his sidekick she was the she was the other counsel for the what for the white house right the small blonde like her name's annabelle something i want to say mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. she's very tiny and he doesn't look like he towers over her that much so it, they just must play clever games with him when he's ever he's on film but cool i don't know all right so the movie starts in a, a, a sort of strange way to me, at least. I don't know. I don't know what you guys thought, but uh, Daniel, our main character, is out in the field with his uh, with a horse, Samson, who's tied to a plow, and he see it's the movie set in 1905, and he sees a car drive through town, which obviously in 1905 that would be a remarkable thing, and he goes chasing after the car and leaves the the horse sitting out in the field chained to the plow. Which, I don't know much about farming, but I know that that's problematic. <laughs> well, it, it, they show it being problematic, so I don't think it's that big a deal. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> I like when they go back to this, they refilm it, and they just show the horse doing circles and like all sorts of designs in the field. Right. And he could, he could as his father says when he comes back, he's, you know, of course he's in trouble when he comes back. Um, he goes to apologize to his father. And his father says, look, you're, Samson, the horse, could have broken a leg. You know, this, there's work to be done. And this is the whole sort of crux of the whole film is right here in the very beginning, which you don't find out until much, much later. But I, it's the kid saying he hates the farm, that it's just a piece of land, and he hates working on it and doing all this sort of thing. And the father saying, like, I, I have slaved for this land. I have worked hard for this, you know, and, and I'm here giving it to you. You don't appreciate it. And that's kind of the the driving force in the whole film. I had one problem and that's like, I don't feel that they should have put the American West 1905 up on the screen. Cause I kind of sort of feel like the whole build the railroad thing was resolved by 1905. Cause it really happened in the late 1800s, you know, building railroads cross country and all that stuff. It, it they already exi- I, existed by 1905. It just felt out of place to me. I agree. Yeah. It's it a it's selective weird. history. <laughs> selective history. Fair enough. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's one thing I like is it's very clever about how they just kind of have things be in this movie. You know, we talk about this a lot as too much exposition versus just let things happen on the screen and let people come to conclusions for themselves. Because while she says he's only a 12-year-old boy, she's saying it to him, not just for the sake of saying it. You know, she's like, you know, he's just a kid. 
you know, calm down. But at the same time, then he has a, they have a baby. So, you know, he has a younger sibling who later on, he kind of mentions that it's his brother. So it's a much more natural flow to giving us the information. That's true. That's true. So the next bit of the film, you know, is the father is like really mean to him or not really mean, but he's a little bit coarse with him, I guess is probably the best way to say it. And, you know, to sort of apologize, he invites the kid to go fishing uh, to fish for some trout for their supper. And while they're in the boat, he starts telling him about Pecos Bill stories about John Henry, Pecos Bill wrestling John Henry, Pecos Bill spiking Paul Bunyan's flapjacks with chili peppers but apparently, uh, this isn't the first time the kids heard these stories. Yeah, he, he's he's not a believer at this point in the story. Is is the important conclusion? Correct. Yeah. No, my thing is my thing is apparently this has happened before, I, and I and we don't get that exposition. But what do you mean happened before? Like they're like they go out on the like this is what they do together. They go yeah. over if they yeah. <laughs> Right, but what I'm saying is, you know, like, he's he's 12, right? Going back to him being 12, he's at that point where, like, I stopped believing in Santa Claus, I stopped believing in Easter, but I don't believe in these guys anymore. That's kind of, like, the response that he gives back to his dad. Which is ridiculous, because both those people are real. <laughs> <laughs> well, kids eventually learn that, though. That's the important thing. Sure, they do learn that, that Santa Claus and Easter, but he's real. They go through that phase where they're like, no, they're not, and then they learn. But what's the most important thing that we learn here? Um, that you put chili peppers in Paul Bunyan's flapjacks and his breath will turn into fire? No, but that was a great superpower for Paul Bunyan, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> the Code of the West. Yes, the Code of the West. Does Rachel know what it is? I, I don't know it by heart, unfortunately. I know the bit about no spitting in front of women. That's the one part of women and children. That's the one part that I remembered about this movie, going back into it, because... I discovered that I had seen this movie. Eric had never seen this movie, but they had made us watch Tall Tale uh, as part of, I don't remember if it was part of English or part of history class in middle school, but the both of us had gone to the same middle school. Somehow he skipped out on this and I did see it. Mm. So So, did they talk about the bad grammar in the Lakota of the West then? (laughs) (laughs) You said it was English class, so. It was was, history. It was either English or history. I don't remember which one. I, Probably it would be better in English class than in history class, <laughs> to be honest. Anyway, the code of the West is respect the land, defend the defenseless, and don't never, that's what I mean by never. the gag grammar, don't never spit in front of women and children. Which, and, of course, always ends with them spitting. Yes. And we should note that this is on the wall in uh, the Tall, the Tall Tale, what it, what it's Pecos Bills, whatever it is, it Tall Tale Inn, right? That's what it's actually yes. called, Magic Kingdom. It's actually on a plaque on the wall in there, if you ever catch it. I, I did not realize that. Yes. As is, there's a little hidden room with the animated pictures of Widowmaker and Pecos Bill on the side. So there's a, like a secret room. Oh, okay. Oh, I know where I know what you're talking about now. Okay, yeah. I'm gonna go look for that. I'm gonna be there soon. I'm gonna go look for that. Yeah, the plaque's like by the Fixins Bar. All right, yeah, I'm gonna go check this out. All right, but yes, you're correct. We learned the code of the West, and uh, the respecting the land and defense defenseless, defend the defenseless, 
comes up very quickly because the next bit of the movie is uh, Jonas, Daniel's father, uh, packing a gun and going out to defend his land, basically, from a, a gentleman named Stiles who is there offering money for the land because they want to run a railroad through it and turn it and basically industrialize the area. And it's a town meeting where he offers this to everybody, and apparently everybody takes the deed with him, which this was my first plot problem. Right. <laughs> so well, so he, I don't know if you safe, right? What's that? He probably didn't have a safe back then. I, right, but here's my question. So he, he takes a gun, and he takes the deed to his home, to the meeting, where he is planning to not sell his house and turn the deed over to these people. And when when he makes this point in the meeting, he then has to, Daniel has followed him, and he has to give Daniel the deed because he knows that Mr. Stiles and his friends are going to attack him, shoot him, do whatever. Wouldn't the deed have been safer at home? Well, why did he even go at that point then, right? Well, I can understand he went to try to stand up for the whole town. Yeah. That's basically what he does. And I can understand him taking the gun, but he taking the deed like literally sets up the exact situation he did not want to happen. <laughs> but the the deed thing's been done in a lot of westerns in the past. Like even um the movie Silverado, the guy has the deed in his pocket, if you remember. I also think Zorro. I, I remember seeing something about the deed in Zorro as well. Not the not the old fashioned zero. The it just might have been something Antonio people Banderas do. Zero, zero. Antonio Banderas zero. I forgot that happened. <laughs> <laughs> How could you forget? I I, I actually could, but the problem is, is I still picture George Hamilton. So <laughs> it's I mean Zorro's Guy Williams. Let's not let's not play around. True, but I mean I I mean in terms of like the first thing I think of is always George Hamilton, just because that movie is very clever. Not that the show is I, the show is the show, but I'm saying like I don't picture Antonio Banderas first in my head, for sure. The one explanation I can think of for why he took the deed with him was because this guy clearly has minions and he has people, you know, at his beck and call. And maybe his thought process was, if I take the deed to the meeting and make a point that I have the deed, that it'll deflect any sort of trouble away from the rest of my family. And if and at that point when he hands off the deed to his son, the bad guys don't know that the son necessarily has it. They just know it's not on him. For thirty so, seconds. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the point though. I mean, maybe he thought if I leave this at home with my family, they could show up, like threaten them and get the deed from them and it will have been for nothing. Yeah, it puts them in danger. I I, I get yeah. that. Mm-hmm. It's it's a thin thing, but I, it works. I guess for this type of movie. Yeah, I guess so. It's just that, that that bothered me like right away. I'm like, wait, you you just why are you giving this to him? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so they they end up uh, chasing the poor child, uh, and they they end up chasing him, uh, Styles gang because they shot uh, his father, beat him up, and. Uh, and he ends up running away and runs into a boat that's tied up outside of uh, his house uh, and falls asleep in the boat because he's sort of crying because he's seen his father attacked. And, you know, sort of that, like, crying to exhaustion sort of thing is why he falls asleep. And he does that. The boat magically unties itself from the dock. 
and floats out to, to sea, apparently. Apparently, he is going across the Red Sea or something of that nature. I'm not really sure. Uh, but when he wakes up, he's in the middle of a desert with no water around him whatsoever. I feel like and I saw this in a pirate movie. It, I, you did. It's called uh, <laughs> At World's End. <laughs> there, there, there are two things that I saw in this movie. Like, I don't know about you guys, but I'm watching this and I'm going, I feel like they took the majority of Lone Ranger from this. <laughs> oh yeah, the um the the bubbly glass in the train that Styles is on through part of the movie also reminded me of that movie uh, The Wild West that Will Smith was in. Oh, does anyone need to be reminded of Wild Wild West? No, but but it's here's <laughs> the thing. It's a, ter- sorry, but it's a okay. terrible vis- It's a terrible movie in terms of um, story and everything like that. But it's actually kind of visually cool if you like. Can, yeah, it's one of those you know you commute this and the movie's much better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Plus the tra- like the whole train just has that the feel of that movie, yeah, and the look. Yeah, it does. Well, and then of course the whole plot of of Styles and and trying to bring the railroad through is pretty much exactly what happens in uh, in Lone Ranger. You know, it's this this movie. I don't. I it, obviously it came out in 1995, so it's not derivative necessarily of things that came after it. Clearly, uh, <laughs> but it definitely feels like something that is. Just derivative in general, right? I think the movies that we're talking about are movies that are all derivative of like Western tropes or, uh, you know, save the farm type type things. Yeah, at its core, this is a very standard, you know, low budget Western movie at its core, right? It's not, if you look at it that way, it's very, you know, typical of what you'd see, you know. Yeah, you're right. It is a it is a very typical Western. That's true. Very true. Uh, but yes, uh, so Daniel wakes up in this boat out in the middle of the desert, and these two outlaws, basically, are right there. I Zeb have a note. Grub. I have a note about right. Zeb. He's played by Scott Wilson, who is Herschel from The Walking Dead. Ah, oh, I thought he looked familiar. Yes, he's been in a bunch of other stuff, too. He's a big character actor, but a lot of people would know him as Herschel from Walking Dead. These days. Not yes. <laughs> and not in 1995 when this movie came out. <laughs> Correct, no. yes. But before these, these two outlaws can attack him, uh, Pecos Bill shows up uh, to, I've had the time of my life. No, I'm sorry, that's not true. <laughs> uh, it is after 20 years. Um, who shows up playing Pecos Bill and shoots off the trigger finger of the two outlaws, much as his father told him uh, that he had done uh, in one of the stories earlier. And he introduces himself and says, he's a ring-tailed roarer, draws faster, shoots straighter, and drinks longer than any man alive, rides cyclones. He's the rip-snortinous cowboy that ever rode north, south, east, or west of the Rio Grande. Rio Grande, he's Pecos Bill. Uh, to which Daniel replies, and I'm Santa Claus. <laughs> can, can I just say, I really, really, really love Patrick Swayze in this movie. Yes. He's very entertaining <laughs> throughout. Yes. He took the character and he, he went with it. Yeah. My, my <laughs> personal favorite moment is, is later on when he's fighting with the guy over Texas. Personal yes. moment. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, agreed. Yes, and so Pecos Bill, uh, the the they took the deed from Daniel, and so Pecos and Daniel go and uh, track them down, manage to get the deed, uh, and then they do my favorite joke in the whole movie. 
um, which I did not have many favorite parts of the movie. Uh, but my favorite joke was where he, where Pecos is talking to them and says, I ought to plug you two right now, but I never kill a man on Sunday. And one of them says, but today's Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> and I love the look they give each other when he realizes what he's done. <laughs> yes. That was the funniest thing in the whole movie to me, for sure. And so the, the, the whole story comes out that um, Daniel is apparently in Texas, as Pecos says, the greatest state in the Union. Uh, and all he remembers is he fell asleep in Paradise Valley, and he doesn't really know how he got there, uh, but that he needs to go home. And Pecos says, well, all right, I will take you to Pecos Bill, or, or take you to Paradise Valley, rather, uh, and, and, and you'll come with me. So uh, they decide to go back to, to Paradise Valley and try to save everything from Styles. Um, Pecos doesn't really like put it that way. He's just like, yeah, come on, let's go. Which again makes me think he's a superpower for the boy. Uh, good day. Good day. <laughs> uh, and then we cut away to Styles, who is showing off through his richly appointed viewing room or train room or whatever it is. I'm, I, I'm not 100% certain. Uh, that they're digging a tunnel that goes through to Paradise Valley for the railroad. Uh, and apparently all the railroad barons are sitting there, including yes. William H. Macy. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Who isn't even credited? I checked the credits at the end, and he is not listed. I know. But he always looks good in mutton chocks, because this isn't the only time I've seen him in them before. <laughs> <laughs> you hear about people, and you know, he looks good in mutton chops. Yeah, I also want to point out that uh, Jared Harris, who's probably best known for Mad Men, is credited as the head thug pug, but he's basically the head uh, henchman for Styles. Oh, okay. The guy who comes in and that one scene that they have that's just the two of them talking, that guy. Yes, and he is actually British. In, I believe he's British in real life. At least he plays British on uh, Mad Men, so maybe that's why his, I think his accent here is a little bit odd. A little bit strange. All right. Yeah, I can see that. And so, they, you know, that, that this whole scene is just basically evil scheming. That's all I got out of it. I don't know what you guys, if you guys, it's just like, aha, we will finish the tunnel and we will take the land and it'll be fabulous. Like, that's pretty much all they do. They didn't have to introduce all those other guys and they could have just let Style stand on his own as a bad guy for this whole railroad thing. I, I, don't understand the whole reason for introducing them. Yeah, I, I don't either. I don't understand what they're... I think they were the Styles Money Men. Yeah. And I, I, that's what I got. Or room Yeah, they're, they're the Money Men. If, if he doesn't actually get the deed, then they're not going to pay him. Then how is he building the tunnel? Good question. <laughs> not, and this is, the whole movie is Daniel Dream. He <laughs> made up the whole thing and then he wrote a script about it and he took it to Hollywood <laughs> so yeah we go back to Pecos and Daniel and Pecos gets into a bit of a, an issue because Daniel touches Widowmaker his horse and Widowmaker don't like that no, no Widowmaker's not at this not point in the movie but, good point good yes. point they do become buddies. And they do, yeah, they do eventually. And so they, they move on, and this is where we get a clear, you know, 
a very clear idea that yes, Pecos is in this to to go with him. Um, because originally he said he was going to Mexico, and to, and then he decides no, 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 we're going north. We're going to Paradise Valley because uh, you know we we need you. Um, we need to go and get, take care of this. And so so that's what he does. And so they go to this place in uh, in the middle of the woods. They're looking for Paul Bunyan. So they go to this like logging facility because they need help. Apparently, um, the, the Dan- call Daniel has... convinces Pecos that he needs help. Right. And so the call has gone out. They've got to go find this uh, Paul Bunyan because they need him. As as Pecos is the greatest logger of them all, and they find this old man who actually knows. Uh, Paul Bunyan, because everybody else in the logging facility is like, um, we don't know him, you crazy people. <laughs> yes. Yeah, they're like, who? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so, yeah, they, they, they do not know him, and, and uh, but this old gentleman says, yes, yes, I know who he is. Um, last I heard, he settled in the Great Redwood Forest, which, again, last I heard, there was no Great Redwood Forest in Texas. <laughs> well, they're not in Texas anymore at this point. Where are they? Well, they traveled. The, remember, they hopped on the horse and they were in Texas. And he said, I'm going to take you to Mexico. And then suddenly they're going north. And again, at that point, they're just not in Texas. But let's face it. If they were in the middle of the country, the Great Redwood Forest is in California. I'm not really sure how they got there. Okay. Yeah, they, they need to like travel by map. <laughs> they do. <laughs> but actually, I think the way they handle it is not terrible. They just don't really pay all that much attention to where they are. <laughs> yeah. But before they can get out of there, um, they get attacked by some of Stiles' men who, who realize that this is the kid and, uh, you know, that he's gotten away. And so they, you know, they attack him. They actually tie him to a to a log that's getting ready to get cut well, by the giant. And he falls log. and gets caught. He doesn't get tied to it, but yeah. I thought, yeah. I thought one of them, like, grabbed him and, and, or something. Like, well, he they, was, no, he was just doing a whole lot of ducking and dodging while yeah. Akos was doing a whole lot of swinging and punching. Yeah, because yeah. he's not actually tied to it. His foot is just caught in the chain. Okay, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For some reason, I thought one of them had, had, had done that, but now, yeah, you're right. I remember this. And so, yes, uh, he's, he's stuck there. Pecos, and I still don't know how this works, uh, shoots the saw. Yeah. And <laughs> he shoots the teeth off of the saw. But that stops the saw from spinning. How does that? Because yes. it would get because it gets caught. And that's the fundamental problem with with a saw is that it can it can get caught easy with a teeth break because then it can't cut through the the wood. I, that's, I, that's how I interpreted it. You know, you dull saw blade; it doesn't cut wood. Okay, fair point. Fair point. I, I, I will grant you that one. That is one plot hole explained, Todd. Dun, dun, dun. You've got about 15 more to go. Progress. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, they, they escape. They get out of there and are heading out to go and find uh, Paul Bunyan. They're heading out to go and see what's going on and, and figure out what's going on with Paul Bunyan. Uh, they go and they find him, and he is out in the middle of nowhere basically complaining about telegraphs. That's what I took away from the scene. Like he's just sta- like he's just that crazy dude, like who's walking down the street, com- muttering to himself. It's just that he's in the middle of a forest, so he can yell it. Well, he's complaining because they're <laughs> cutting down his trees to make telegraph poles. 
Says him. Says him. That's right, because telegraph poles are not made out of redwood. <laughs> Again, <laughs> and we don't see anybody cutting down trees. We see them sawing trees in the in the other, you know, in the in the logging area. But we don't see anybody actually cutting down any trees. <laughs> nope. That's a bit of a problem. Also, um, Oliver Platt's look in this scene, he looks just like the dentist from um, from uh, the remake of True Grit that Jeff Bridges meets on the road and and looks and is where has this um, bear head basically on top of his on top of his head. He has a skinned bear. Um, look it up. He. He looks exactly like him. I I can't prove that Trugrit might have taken this from Tall Tale, but so far it seems as though there's a lot of movies taking things from Tall Tale. So who knows? I think it's more like what we were saying earlier. Like Tall Tale is a pretty generic western, and like all movies, there's this point where some movies are just like taking whether they're taking from each other or just taking from the consciousness at large. You know what I mean? Like that sounds esoteric, but it's not. Like, it's just, that's a thing that you see in a lot of movies. Oh my goodness, I just looked up the picture, and you are so right. (laughs) I know! (laughs) All right, let's continue, please. (laughs) So, they get this whole thing where they go in with with Paul Bunyan and go in and eat with him, and Paul Bunyan is, is complaining, like you said, Todd, about them cutting down the trees to make telegraph lines and uh, that they don't know how to do real logging. If, you know, they don't know about log flumes or a double bladed axe or any of those sorts of things. And uh, there was a good splash mountain. When he said log flumes, I'm like, <laughs> are you making splash mountain? Is that what we're talking about I, here? I, I do love like, who invented the double bladed axe? Paul Bunyan did. Who invented the log flume? Paul Bunyan did. This is like a great yeah. conversation with himself yeah i remember the i remember the log swim because uh where, where i grew up here in georgia in atlanta our six flags had a like literally single log flume and there was a paul bunyan at the end of it like standing there with his double-bladed axe ready to chop your head open oh awesome yeah <laughs> it was very exciting for an eight-year-old kid <laughs> he's not there anymore but the, the log flume's still there but he's not there anymore only now, it's, instead of the log flume, it's the log jamboree. Ah, okay. Which I think we can all agree is better. But anyway, I digress. Uh, Paul Bunyan, they, they talk about, you know, he's, he's just whining and moaning about all this stuff. And he says he's not going to help anybody, uh, including Paradise Valley. And that's when Daniel basically calls him out, which I thought was pretty brave now that we've realized that Oliver Platt is 6'4". Uh, that's pretty brave. <laughs> Uh, but he calls him out. Says he's basically that he, you know, he's he's stork- basically calls him a coward. He doesn't say it in so many words, but that's what he says. And you know, he and Pecos leave, and that's when Paul Bunyan actually shows up uh, and comes back and says, you know, look, stay out of my way if you want to live to see another year. And he's riding Babe the Blue Ox, <laughs> which is also another highlight of the movie for me. Yes, yes, Babe the Blue yeah. Ox is definitely a highlight. <laughs> Yeah, and, and remember we're talking about articles. I remember looking up years ago about how they did the oct, and it was actually died. But I couldn't find an article that covered that because they had to have like anim- They had to have animal handlers on care handlers on scene to make sure that they were doing the dying correctly. And there was a whole bunch of. I, I distinctly remember reading this article, and I couldn't find it anywhere. Yeah, there is really very little written about the making of this movie. 
Like I had a very hard time finding anything about it. And even like like most Disney movies that came out in this era, they had like a making of thing that probably aired on Disney Channel or something and is on YouTube somewhere or on, you know, special features, but there's nothing for this movie. Yeah, I, yeah. I couldn't find much of anything. I mean, like barely even a, a, a summary or a script or anything. Um, usually you can find a lot of that stuff. But I guess when you uh, make less than a third of your budget, uh, yeah. you know, <laughs> people don't tend to write much about you. Nope. Uh, the next person that they pick up in their travels is John Henry uh, because they go to they catch a ferry to Liberty City. I don't know where that is on the map either. But it, like I said, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Uh, and they they run into John Henry, who is in a contest against uh, a machine, right? So they're going to drive steel into these two rocks that are conveniently placed right next to each other for viewings uh, of this contest. And so John Henry is trying to beat the machine. This is like the famous story uh, about John Henry. And they, they push Daniel out there to be his shaker, which is basically hold the, you know, hold the spike so that John Henry can hit it and then twist it and then hit it again and all that kind of stuff. Um, and no one will volunteer because John Henry is swinging a giant hammer and you have to put your hands underneath it. Yep. I don't have a problem with this. If I were one of those people, I would not volunteer either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, they do make a point that John Henry never misses. So uh, He doesn't. It's true. Uh, but Daniel... So this was my fundamental problem with the movie, right? Is up to this point, I didn't like Daniel at the beginning because I thought he was a little snotty punk, which I think he was supposed to be, right? Yeah. Uh, and then I didn't like Daniel when he meets uh, Pecos Bill because he's still a little bit of a snotty punk. And then he calls out Paul Bunyan, and I'm like, okay, this kid's changing a little bit. And then he goes to this next bit with John Henry where he serves as the shaker, and like, I don't really know what happens. Like, he, He's supposed to hop down get another um, spike, for John Henry to hammer, and he just sort of stands there, and he's like, oh, I'm tired. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't even know what happened. This is hard. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, oh, this, uh, it's hot. Somebody give me water. Like, I, I don't understand this. Yeah. Yeah. I don't either. I don't either. And like later on at the end when they're saying their goodbyes, he says that, you know, you can you can do it for me like next time I'm in a competition, you know, you can You can call me. Yeah. And I'm like, <laughs> No, you wouldn't want him back. Yeah, you don't want this kid. <laughs> Not at all. Bad idea. It's like you broke his winning streak. What <laughs> why would you possibly want him back? <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't understand it either. Uh, but they go to a bar, and they bring the kid with them, and John Henry and Paul Bunny are like, this kid's not, not worthwhile. We should ditch him. And to which I, my response when watching the movie is, he's the only reason the three of you are together, and you're not, you actually have no goal in this movie if you get rid of him. <laughs> <laughs> but they are at a bar, so really, does it matter if they have a goal or not? No, 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 but I mean, like, I get it if you want to ditch him because I kind of wanted to ditch him at this point too, but that's the end of the movie. <laughs> I don't guess they realized they were in a movie, probably. I would assume. Unclear. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, so they, they again go back to the Code of the West 
while they are drinking, and then uh, they they skip into the, uh, a bar fight, basically, as uh, one of the guys, uh, you know, bumps into Daniel and you know spills he spills something, and Pancos tries to stick up for him, and uh, the guy then starts uh, running down Texas. Yes, and what's the moral of the story? You just don't insult Texas. No, you don't. <laughs> don't cross Pecos Bill. I think, <laughs> I, think I think that's a better moral of the story. Unless you're Calamity Jane, I agree with what Ryan said. Well, that's that's my other favorite thing about this movie is Catherine O'Hara shows up as Calamity Jane, and I'm like, yep, perfect casting. <laughs> yep, and she is not in this movie nearly enough. Like they needed yeah. at least three times, four times as much Catherine O'Hara in this movie. <laughs> She should have been there all the way to the end. I mean, if they're going to have her yeah. show up. Exactly. Yeah, I agree. And th- this movie was sadly lacking a female presence, that's for sure. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah, other than that, what do we have? We have his mom, who's, by the way, Mrs. Gary Sinise. And I think that's about it. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. It's kind of surprising that other than Calamity Jane, nobody else gets a romantic interest in this movie. Well, and even Calamity Jane, it's just a, you know, what, two-second flirtation with, with Pecos Bill? Yeah. Well, clearly Pecos Bill had no interest, so I'm not even sure it's a romantic interest. Yeah, <laughs> and most, most live-action movies from this era, like, everyone had to have a romantic interest. <laughs> true, true. Uh, and what happens is the three uh, tall tale gentlemen get sent to jail while Daniel runs away uh, <laughs> and proving that he was worthless. <laughs> Let's come back. Thank goodness. He comes back with Babe the Blue Ox and tries to, and basically like rigs up a system, the old uh, trick of hooking the horse to the jail uh, bars and trying to pull them out that way. You know, that old thing <laughs> <laughs> that we've all done a hundred times. Sure. We've actually seen it in a number of movies. Yeah. I always Always, wonder, though, why didn't he just have Widowmaker kick down the wall? I don't don't think they were thinking these things through. (laughs) (laughs) And they managed to get, like, they managed to start getting him, uh, and Pecos Bill insults the ox and has to apologize to Babe. (laughs) I thought that was funny, actually. That was kind of funny. (laughs) But it, that's the problem is like like things are like my my issue with the middle part of this movie is like once they get the three characters together, uh, there's no forward momentum. You know what I mean? Like there should be the ticking time bomb of Styles and his gang and like the, his dad's gonna die and all this kind of stuff. And they set that up, but it doesn't really feel like anything. Like those guys show up, the Styles people show up here, and they have to run away from them. They chase Daniel around a lot in this entire sequence. But you never, like, I don't know about you guys, but I never really felt a threat from that. It was just sort of happening. I never felt like they were going to get him. (laughs) Well, they almost do when he chases them up to the water tower. Yeah. I mean, I guess. But he's got Pecos, Bill, John Henry, and Oliver Platt as Paul Bunyan on, on his side. Like, is, is anything really going to happen? 
I didn't really understand when they get out of prison I, and Paul Bunyan goes off to help Daniel and I didn't understand that the other two didn't. They just suddenly magically appear with this barge. Right. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Then the next scene is we're floating down a river on a barge because that's what we do. <laughs> it, it's supposed to be the Colorado River, by the way, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, with how they got from Northern California to the Colorado River, I'm not really sure. Yes. I can't remember. This is before the desert still. Yes, according to my notes, it's still before the desert. Yeah, the desert, yeah. Which, mind you, the endless desert that they would have had to cross to go from Texas to the Redwood Forest to begin with. Right. The one that they already crossed, were they really traveling by map? <laughs> and, and then there's this bit with John Henry where they're talking about their fathers and they're talk and they're you know they're just having this whole deep conversation where Daniel's saying that you know when my dad and I were fishing it's sort of the only time we got along and you know John Henry saying my dad was the same way and uh, you know Daniel sort of coming to the realization that you know he did it the wrong way and you know all this sort of thing and they're having this touching moment and then uh, Daniel asks well, what happened to him and he says well my dad got sold down river he was a slave all right moving on <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> huh? <laughs> we, we we might want to go back to that maybe. <laughs> well, you can read the further adventures of John Henry. It's true, true. Yeah, so they get out of the barge, and that's when they end up in this uh, electric, or sorry, in the endless desert, and they start talking about electric lights <laughs> for for some reason. <laughs> They start talking about the fact that they're going to hit this endless desert, and Daniel says, you know, I saw a picture of New York City at night, and it has electric light bulbs. We could use those. And they start talking about these electric light bulbs, and they're like, well, wait, you mean people can't see the stars, or they, they won't be able to, like, they won't need to light fires and stuff? And they all go, well, I don't like that. And I have to figure, like, people watching this movie are going... Okay, but I'm going to walk outside, and that's where it's going to be. <laughs> yeah, it's, well, I mean, whoever wrote this particular scene has that problem where it is true that when there's a more concentration of artificial light, it's harder, harder to see light in the sky. So it does make it stars harder to, harder to see. That that is a that is a true phenomenon, and I just don't think that whoever wrote this scene really explained it very well. Yeah. Yeah, I I, I don't understand that either. But uh, but that's one of many endless things that I don't get about this movie, uh, including the endless desert, which is next, where they are walking across this endless desert that we discussed. They would have had to have already crossed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And they basically, like, start turning on each other. Yes. And then comes, like, out of the heat and everything comes Styles. Like, he's, well, first, Daniel sees his father, and it's not his father, it's a mirage. And then, like, out of the shimmer of the heat, here comes Styles. And Daniel, who's supposed to be the like hero of this movie just quits. It's like, here, take the deed. I'm tired. I'm going to go home. Yeah. 
Also, Styles is gets there by driving his train through the desert, which just happens to be right where they are. Because train tracks, you know, they can go wherever you need them to go. Apparently. I wasn't aware of that, yep. but apparently so. <laughs> I, I, but this is the point of the movie, and like, I'm watching it, and at this point, just FYI, I was on the plane. Uh, and I'm watching this on the plane, and I went, what? And the guy next to me was like, um, excuse me. <laughs> I'm like, the whole point of the movie is that this kid is going to value this stuff more, that he's going to be defending the land and following the code of the West, and he basically just doesn't do it. Yes, except the spitting part. He always does the spitting part. He does, yeah, fair enough. <laughs> And so it turns out that this this is the part that we talked about earlier uh, in the intro that he wakes up after this, he, but he hands the deed over, uh, and he hands and Pecos Bill is going through his whole rip snortness cowboy thing, and that's when Daniel wakes up, and he's in bed in his house, and it, he finds out that no, you just fell asleep in his in, in the boat. He goes to talk to his father and tells him all the things he did with Pecos Bill and John Henry and. That he was in the Redwood, Redwood Forest and Liberty City and everywhere, and Styles and the gang were on his tail the whole way, but he still got the deed. So we know that part was a dream. Because he think. still has the deed. Yes, it, it's unclear. Like I said, it's inconsistent the dreaming versus not dreaming stuff. Yep. Yeah, I, I, it, it was. Yeah, to say the least, very inconsistent. And so his father, who's laying on his bed, is just happy that he's back. And his father then is like, well, we're just going to sell it. We're not going to, you know, no piece of land's worth dying for. Um, and so now his father gives up. So I'm going, wait, what? What, what is going on here? <laughs> <laughs> but finally, Daniel says, forget you, parents, and runs off to go do to something. Go <laughs> yeah it's a weird scene overall what goes on next for the next like five ten minutes of the movie the whole rest of the movie is weird yeah the whole movie's been weird to this point but the whole rest of the movie's weird because what I, i'm serious like daniel goes to lay under a train because he goes and stands in front of the train to keep them from going inside and he he does that and they start running him over. Like he's there <laughs> yep. to try to stand there and get in the way of of the train. And they just start going and running him over. And it feels like if you guys remember Austin Powers, where the dude is standing like <laughs> feet away and is screaming as the guy is running over him with the you know Austin Powers is getting ready to run over him with the steamroller. That's what it feels like. <laughs> <laughs> it does that, but that's what I mean is these there are these moments in the movie that are just so drawn out more than they need to be like I feel like this entire thing could have been accomplished in an hour and it's you know 50% longer than that yeah it's, it's what 95 minutes somewhere in yeah. that range um let's see what yeah it's like 136 it? minutes or something I mean I mean 96 minutes yeah, yeah, something like that. It's yeah. it's right around the hour and a half mark. Let's see, ninety eight minutes. Yep. There we go. Yep. yep. All right. 
And so, yeah, they start running them over, and it's at that point that everybody tells them to get off the tracks. And then John Henry shows up, and Paco shows up, and Paul Bunyan shows up to save him. Now, we were just told less than 10 minutes of movie time ago that these guys were imaginary. And the idea was that they were basically like, you know, like they, this, their spirit had inspired Daniel to do this thing. And then they show up, which completely undercuts that idea completely. And we have no idea what's real and what's not. Right. Also, John yeah. Henry is completely holding back the train and nobody is going, what is going on? <laughs> not one person <laughs> in this entire town said those words. <laughs> nope. No one questions it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's strange. Uh... I don't understand it because, like, yeah, and then Daniel gets out from under the train, the townspeople are holding the train back, and, like, he chases Styles into the cavern. And, and you know, Styles is, like, yelling at him and saying how, like, there's always going to be people like me. I'm not, you know, it doesn't matter how much you want or any of this kind of stuff. There's always going to be more people. We won't stop coming. And Daniel basically, you know, says, forget it. Not through, you're not coming through our land and, and knocks the tunnel down, basically. On top this, yeah, that. this is the Roger Rabbit. Villain scene. <laughs> Talking about stealing stuff. <laughs> this is the same thing that Roger Rabbit happens with the bad guy. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, this movie stole a lot of different plots from a lot of different things. It's like, hmm, we can take some from column A, column B, column C. Sort of like a Chinese menu approach yeah. to filmmaking. <laughs> I, th- I think this makes no sense to me. Because, okay, there's a whole town full of adults, and they send the kid in to knock down the last one. Way into this tunnel, where he could possibly be crushed by falling debris. You really can tell he may be the only child in this town. (laughs) It seems to me the rest of the people were not smart enough to procreate. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just saying, like, I've just put it out there. That's what it seems, it definitely seems that way to me. And so, yeah, they, everybody lives happily ever after. They all make it. Um, it's Daniel and his father are standing out surveying all the land. And uh, right as they are doing so, you know, Paul Bunyan and, and everybody shows up. Uh, and John Henry and everyone shows up. Uh, as well as Pecos Bill and Daniel's father sees them, as, as we mentioned earlier. and uh, it, it becomes, quote, unquote, real, you know, for him. But again, like, to me, like, he sees them from a distance, sort of, you know what I mean? And it's, it's unclear, right, if they are there or not there, or... Right, I mean, he could just, we see what's supposed to be through his eyes, but at the same time, it could just be him looking at his son in admiration or something. It's, it's so unclear, but... But then, he, then the kid gets Widowmaker! That's right. That is yeah. that is the boundary <laughs> crosser right there. Yep. And then then um Pecos gets the gets the next tornado out of town. Well that's how yeah. he arrives in the beginning. He arrives by tornado in the very beginning, so it makes sense for him to leave by tornado or Correct. cyclone as he Cyclone, yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He ropes the cyclone and repeats his whole rip snorting cowboy which i think the difference between a cyclone and a tornado is the way they spin right you're asking the wrong guy yeah for some reason i think that's the case 
Yeah. It is cool when he rides the tornado. Let's face it, though. Right? <laughs> that is correct. I will agree with that. That is cool. Oh, I have an answer to. Uh, I I can actually send you a link of the difference between cyclones and tornadoes. Apparently, it's a regional thing. <laughs> so it's, not, it's just dialect. Yeah. So so that's the way the movie ends is with Pecos Bill riding off on the cyclone and us unclear if that's actually happening or if both Daniel and us are suffering from some sort of mental breakdown. <laughs> <laughs> Huzzah! Because I will say, midway through my flight, I was wondering if this movie would ever end. Yeah, I was not pleased. I will say that. I mean, there's just there are a lot of holes in this. Yeah, like I said, fundamentally, it's just it's longer than it needs to be, and I think if 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 it had a lot of the fluff taken out of it, it would be a tighter story. It would go quicker, and it would probably flow better. And fire this editor. Yes. That's for sure. Yeah. I think the charm of the three uh, tall tale characters, um, the actors, I think, really helps the movie a lot. Um, yeah. But it grace. definitely... Yeah, it definitely oh, yeah. Patrick has a lot Swayze of in, Yeah, Patrick Swayze does, does a lot of the saving. And I'm 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 not sure on the John Henry character, but because the bonding moment, like Ryan said, that moment was like, like the Muppet joke. It was moved to Pittsburgh. It really was like, okay, we're not talking about the same war. Continue. Yeah, yeah. But I don't. I blame that on the script. I don't blame that so much on the actor. I think he does a good job. Yeah, but I'm not saying it ruins the emotional moment that they had. It doesn't yeah. make it as powerful. I, I mean, it makes it powerful, but it could have been more powerful. Yeah, that, yeah, that's what I mean. Like, it's like you have this nice bonding moment, and then all of a sudden it's like, we're going to throw in, yeah, and, I was, and my father was a slave, and then we're going to move on. The one movie <laughs> I wanted to reference before we go and say goodbye and do our wrap-ups and all that is um, at one point they in the town, they talk about how did the, the guy, bad guy's men get there so fast and how do they know? And then they talk about telegraphs and then he was talking about the great, the great locomotive chase and how they could have chopped down the telegraphs. They, they, right, they, 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 they talk about chopping down the telegraphs. Well, they do show a telegraph come in at one point in the movie. I think it's when they go to Liberty City maybe that to look for the boy with the deed. Yeah, that's true. But yeah, I just wanted to mention that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. I don't know. I, I just, uh, I, the whole thing has, uh, it's, it's Swiss cheese of plot holes, which is concerning when you're trying to do this, this sort of thing. But yeah, we're also we're also looking for consistency in stories that are like i mean the whole movie is based around tall tales which don't really make much sense in the first place they have kind of their their own logic about them yeah totally fair totally fair yeah uh i think that's what they were trying to do you know what i mean like i think they were trying to have some sort of mythical quality to what's happening but then they created a set of rules and then broke the set of rules yeah that's that's the issue 
we have harped on that quite a bit. Yes. Uh, anything else you guys want to say before we rate this? I got nothing. No, nope. right. I'm good. There's not much out there, like we said, to talk about. Uh, all right, well, Rachel, why don't you lead us off then? Okay, I'm going to give this one two and three quarter stars. I want to give this three stars, but like you pointed out, Ryan, there's so many plot inconsistencies and just like production things that could have been done better on this movie um, that were just like, especially the editing. Um, but I really, really do like the performances of all three of the the main characters in this. Um, I'm leaving um, our, I guess, real protagonist out of this, but I'm, I'm going to of course, Pecos and uh, Paul Bunyan and uh, and Henry, of course. Um, I just think the actors are all great. Um, it's it's kind of fun, you know, to introduce a younger audience to these stories because I feel like we don't. I mean, America doesn't really have like the same sort of cultural. I don't know, like that sort of foundation of like our own fairy tales and stories like this. So it's kind of good to pass along stories to a new generation. Um, like Pecos Bill and Paul Bunyan and everything. So, um, yeah, I really, and also the, um, the fact that Catherine O'Hara is in this movie, but she's not really in this movie all this much, all that much, um, also knocks down the score a bit. So I think two and three quarter star is more than fair to this movie. I would agree with you, um, because it's way more than I would give it because I would give it a two. Uh, and not feel bad about it. So, uh, for all of the reasons that, that you just said, actually, but I would just go a little lower. Uh, Cheryl, what about you? Well, I'm going high here. I'm going four. Um, as many people know, we, we get to pick the movies. And once every, every year we, we go through, we, and this is one of my real picks. Um, because I decided, like, I said, I liked the movie that was not what I thought was real, that wasn't, wasn't really true. At least this movie was a tall tale and I appreciate that (laughs) (laughs) whether it was a dream I I get that part but I really like the movie because I really like the portrayal of the characters and that what what they tried to do and and this was something that they that if they tried they failed never again type of thing but again I really like the characters I don't get mopped up too much in the story bit, like in the plot bit, because I'm really focusing on the characters of Pecos and the character of Mark Henry, the character of Paul Bunyan, you know? And the bad guy chasing them around. So that's why I'm giving it so high. That's, hey, that's fine. That's the whole point of the show is everybody to have different opinions. Uh, Tom, what about you? What's your different opinion? Um, I am also going to go with a 2.75, but with this caveat, I don't feel like I have to repeat my problems with the movie, but with the caveat that an entire half star of that 2.75 just goes to Patrick Swayze alone. Yes. (laughs) That's, that's totally fair. Totally fair. So that's our look at Tall Tale. If you guys agree with us or disagree with us, come back and let us know on the show notes at DisneyFilmProject.com. Email us, DisneyFilmProject at gmail.com. Tweet us at DisneyFilmProject or find us on Facebook at DisneyFilmProject. Let us know what you guys think. We really appreciate it when you guys do that. Um, It helps us to tweak things and and make the show better for you, which is uh, what we're here to do. All right, so that will do it for this week's episode. For Todd and Rachel and Cheryl, I'm Ryan, and I'll see you again soon. 
does this story have a point or does it go on and on and on like this stinking desert? I ought to plug you two right now by making a rule never to kill a man on Sunday. I ain't apologizing to no op.